Well, good morning, Christian World Church. If you, I don't know you, if I haven't met you, my name is Mark Anthony. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to share the Word of God with you today. Uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I love Mark's gospel because it's quick, and it's to the point, and it moves, and it's full of action and power, and it really helps us highlight and understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is is about. Mark wrote his gospel in the midst of persecution. They say around 64 AD, whenever Emperor Nero was persecuting Christians. So there's this urgency that we need to write down what this life of following Jesus is about, what it means, and how we can persist in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of, for them, being crucified for their faith, right? And so the gospel had real implications for their lives and the way they were living. It meant something to them because their faith was costing them something. So Mark writes his gospel. And so I ask us today, how do we live on the other side of the resurrection? How do we live this side of Easter Sunday. Now, your Easter candy has probably all but dried up at this point, right? Did it make it through the first week, right? Your Easter outfit's back in the closet, right? And, uh, you know, decorations are back in storage. The Easter bunny is already shopping for next year to get us all some nice gifts for our little ones. And so is that is that it, right? Like the Easter Sunday has come and gone. Resurrection Sunday has come and gone. We made our declaration, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And now we just sort of move on with life, business as usual. My hope for today is that we would allow the message of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection to impact our very real lives here on this earth today. Resurrection, listen to me, resurrection is not simply about going to heaven when you die. Resurrection is not just simply going to heaven when you die. Resurrection is God saying, I am remaking the earth, starting with Jesus, and I am announcing the earth-wide reign of my kingdom, and Jesus is the king. The resurrection is the keystone event of Jesus's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus teach us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, then expect us to behave like people whose Christian faith simply guarantees their destination in the afterlife? And our job is just to wait until he takes us up. Why would Jesus teach us to pray on earth as it is in heaven? And then for us just to sit around waiting for heaven, to leave earth and get to heaven. 
I believe that Jesus teaches our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because Jesus is inviting us to join him in the labor of uniting heaven and earth here in the earth today, you and I. The gospel does not merely guarantee your destination in heaven when you die. The gospel is the divine invitation to partner with the God of creation in establishing his kingdom in the earth while you are alive and breathing today. You have, I have been invited to join in the job to unite heaven and earth. And you and I as Christians are making a human appeal to the world on behalf of God as his ambassadors Mark chapter one, verses 14 through 15. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. It is complete. The promises of God throughout history to the Israelite people find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians and he talks about how, you know, there's this unifying point in history now that we all have as humans and it is Jesus. It is Jesus that, that the whole story of the Old Testament is pointing to this coming Messiah and this person of Jesus. And so now we, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, where you're where you're born of, we all now find our unification in the person of Jesus Christ, that his death and his resurrection is the place where we all now find common ground in because we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross and we are all in need of a Jesus who rose from the dead and can raise us from the dead. And that appeal is not just to the Israelite people, his chosen people in the beginning, but it is to all all of us today who would hear the story of the good news and respond with urgency and vulnerability and honesty and humbleness. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of these promises that God has made and the time has come and has been fulfilled. And he says, no longer is the kingdom of God just in one place with one people, the Israelite. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God isn't some distant reality. It isn't far away in space. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God has come near to us. It is present. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come near. It is present. It isn't far away, from, far away in space. It isn't far off in time. Jesus is coming is proof that the kingdom of God has come close to us and is present and available for us to enter into. So what is the kingdom of God? A person's kingdom is the range of their effective will. It's the area where what you say goes. Has anyone ever at any point in their life thought of their bedroom as their kingdom, their domain? Anybody ever had your children say, this is my room? Any of you as a kid growing up, did you try to tell your parents, this is my room, right? And maybe your parents or maybe you as a parent said, oh, I'm so proud of you. Look at you. You've been grown up. You got your own room. Like, look at you, like all grown now, maturing. You got your own place now. I'm so excited.
excited for you. I'm so glad that you have grown up and, and you got your own place now. So here's what you need to know at the beginning of the month, rent's due, you got your utilities due. No, 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 because this is your place. This is your kingdom. This is your domain. So here it is for you. So, so you're going to need to go ahead and, and start paying paying these bills. And it's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Sorry, mama. Sorry, mama. It's your, this is your, it's your house. All right. This is your place. This is your place. I just, you know what I mean? But sometimes, you know, we have that desire to say, you know, I, I want a place where, where I can, I can leave my room dirty if I want to mama, you know, and, and mama's like, no, 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 this is my house. Right. Dad's like, no, no, this is my house. And, and so this is where my effective will operates. And so the room's going to need to be clean. Right. And so if you think about it like that, the kingdom of God is a place where his will is ruling and reigning, correct? Where, where God is king and the kingdom of God is the rule of God over the hearts and minds of men and women. Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom of God is near. So, so what does he say? He says, repent and believe, Repent and believe. Repent means to adjust your perspective, change the way your life is headed. Repentance is an invitation to come back to God. Recognize that your kingdom, your kingdom is falling apart. Your kingdom won't last. Your kingdom is headed to ruin. But when I step into the kingdom of God, I come under his lordship. I believe his good news about me. I walk in worship and obedience to him. And this is good news because in the kingdom of God, there is grace and there's love and there's joy. And there's an invitation to be reconciled to God and there's an opportunity to step out and partner with him in the renewal of all things, Jesus is the fulfillment. And so at the heart, here we are, just a couple weeks past Easter Sunday where we take time to recognize that Jesus is risen. And so as we look at living life on the other side of the resurrection, at the heart of the Easter message is not something God did a long time ago. And at the heart of the Easter message is not just something that God will do in the future. The risen Jesus says that now we have a job. We have to go announce repentance and the forgiveness of sins to everyone. And it's a forgiveness and repentance that is not just for me and myself or not just to individuals, but this is a repentance and forgiveness of sins that extends to entire communities, that if communities and nations and peoples will turn to God, that they will find forgiveness for how the ways in which they have participated in evil and can be reunited and restored and new creations can begin in Jesus. And so Jesus tells us to pray, our father, not just my father, our father, 
The gospel is communal. It is meant to be shared. The resurrection reminds me that the gospel, it's alive. It isn't just something I cash in whenever I die, but it's something that calls me to die to myself today, that I may truly live today, and that I may join God in bringing about his kingdom of life here in the earth and partner with him in the renewal of all things here in the earth. God loves his people and God loves the earth. He created in the beginning and called all things good. He created humanity and called it very good. God loves his creation and God is not just in the business of saying, hold out and hold on and I'll get you out of that wretched place down there. God is saying, I sent my son Jesus to institute the beginning of my rule and my reign extending across the earth and I'm beginning a new creation and I'm partnering with you to establish heaven here in the earth. My kingdom come my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And would anyone care to join me? Would anyone care to jump in? Would anyone come to be my ambassador, to partner with me, to co-labor with me? And you do not labor in vain. And my kingdom is one of joy and peace and righteousness. And God says, come all that will into my kingdom. I invite you in. Believe, repent, change your perspective, change the way you're going, turn your life around, come to me, believe the good news. My son has fulfilled the time. My kingdom has come near and I'm establishing it here in the earth. God has not forsaken us. God has not forsaken the earth. The resurrection reminds us of that. The resurrection reminds us that God has not forsaken us here in the earth, but God plans to renew, redeem, and restore the earth. And we are the people who he has called to work with him for all of eternity. And so I'm not just looking for an insurance plan to cash in when I die. I'm looking for a redemptive purpose that changes the way I live. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ at work in my life invites me in. See, the resurrection restores and redeems us not just to the point of sin, but to the point of creation. I ask you this question today, does your gospel message, does your gospel message redeem you back to Genesis chapter three or does it redeem you back to Genesis chapter one when God called all things good? Does he just undo what, what humans did when they sinned or does God not only atone for the sin in Genesis three but seek to restore the goodness of Genesis one that was established when he created the heavens and the earth? And so is God inviting us into a more beautiful reality than the one that we have so often settled for as Christians here in the earth? Does God invite us into a more beautiful, holistic approach as human beings to operate that we may care for one another while it is still called today? That I cannot just sit idly by and ignore my neighbor in pain and in ruin and in destruction just because I know that I get to go to heaven someday. No, I've been called by God to bring heaven about here in the earth today. And so I must partner with him 
and I must love on the people that God has placed in my life. And it does not have to look like some amazing life-changing thing. It can look very ordinary and very simply like loving the person right in front of me and caring for them and caring for their needs because when I do so, I am bringing heaven to earth and I'm establishing God's kingdom here in the earth and I am uniting heaven and earth. The gospel is not just a gospel of atonement. The gospel is a gospel of renewal here on the earth. And you and I have been invited in. I want to make that very clear this morning. And the resurrection is where I find this purpose in this meeting. And I come alive because Jesus is alive. He rose. He's not dead. And he didn't just rise in some, you know, uh, 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 some existential way. Jesus didn't rise in just some spiritual way. He bodily rose in his body. And so that means that I have an embodied gospel that I live today. I'm not just looking to spiritually go to heaven someday. I'm looking to physically bring heaven to earth while it is still called today. Jesus' resurrection atones our sin and invites us into a Garden of Eden relationship with God where God's presence is near and we co-labor with him in stewarding all creation for his glory and for his purpose. Julie Canlis writes in her book, Theology of the Ordinary, listen to this. She says, indeed, what is the mission of the Son, the Son being Jesus? Contemporary Christianity would phrase it as something like, to save us from our sins, which is partly right. However, early Christianity, as it developed just after Jesus' death and resurrection, would say something more holistic, like the mission of the Son was to turn humanity back to the Father in every aspect of sinful human life. Think about it for a moment. Many of us would answer, what, what Jesus' purpose was, and, and, and we, would, we would say simply to save us from our sins, right? And that is, that is true, but it's not holistic. The early Christians, they lived in such a way, they began living in such a way where they begin to understand that the mission of Jesus was not just to save us from our sin, but to turn humanity back to the Father in every aspect of our sinful human life. The gospel is a message that reaches far across our world, our lives, our existence here. The work of spreading this message of redemption, of partnering with God and the renewal of all things, being a messenger of hope here on the earth, standing against injustice, declaring the goodness of God, bringing about God's shalom peace to the earth and the people in it is a labor that is not done in vain. And it may feel that way. Because our lives are, fell, are, are, are filled with great sorrow a lot of times. And we come up against much misery in our life. And we have to confront immense amounts of 
evil here on this earth. And so everything that I'm saying is all exciting and good and well, but what happens when we have to confront the sorrows and the realness and the difficulty of life? I point us to John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. This is after Jesus had risen in the resurrection story. And in John chapter 20, verse 11 says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, In distress. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. See, she understood Jesus to be dead. She she understood this Jesus that she had followed, who she had given her life to, who she loved dearly, was dead, and then now his body is missing. And at verse 14, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And in verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. God instead, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She told them that she had, that she had said these things that he had said these things to her. And so in the Easter stories like this one, we see Jesus's followers full of sorrow because they believe Jesus to have died. And their understanding, much like our understanding, is that when somebody dies, they're dead. And so in this distress and in this sorrow and in this misery, Mary is distraught and she's distressed and many of you are familiar with misery and sorrow. What we see in this story after the resurrection is that Jesus, amen. (laughs) We see that Jesus meets us in our sorrow. That Jesus, hear me, every single one of you this morning, Jesus can be found through our tears. The gospel is not just things will get better in heaven someday, but that the God who is alive from the dead, the God who got up bodily from the dead, who is alive, can meet us in our place of distress and sorrow and pain and transform those situations here and Now, that's the power of the resurrection. And in the creation story, we see God sending Adam and Eve out of the garden. And here in John 20, we see Jesus sending Mary out of the garden rejoicing. What is the command to Mary? Go and tell this news. Mary leaves with a message of hope. She she leaves with a message of peace. 
And when we encounter the resurrection, we are given a message to carry with us. Just as Jesus was sent by the Father to bring redemption, to spread the message of hope, to announce the kingdom of God, so he sends you and I today. To be an Easter people is to be a sent people. To be a people of the resurrection is to be a sent people. You and I, we have been redeemed, yes, but you have not just been simply redeemed. You have been redeemed with a purpose to join and partner with God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before our way of life. And so how do I live as a redeemed person on this side of the resurrection? I live to worship God in gratitude for what he has done. I live to serve God with what he has given me. I live to work towards healing and wholeness of humanity and of his earth and, and, and of his kingdom advancing in the earth. And this again is not a labor that I labor in vain. Acts chapter two, I'm gonna start in verse 36. And then you'll read 41 and 42 on the screen. But in verse 36 says this, therefore, this is, you know, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he preaches this whole message of the gospel and of the good news. And he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. And I love this. He's, when it's recorded, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, they said, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been pierced to the heart, all right? And you're saying, I hope, what shall I do? Because I don't wanna just grab this message, this story of the gospel. I don't wanna just grab my forgiveness of sins and then just go on with my life and not partner with God. How might I partner with God? How, what shall I do? And so, in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so in verse 41, here's what we read. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And what did they do? What are the early Christians recorded as doing in response to this gospel message, to being filled with the Holy Spirit, to understanding that Jesus has risen and he is the Messiah, he is the Lord, the one who was crucified, he is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords. What did they do in verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
And I need us to grab a hold of something because I've really wanted to exhort you. I've really wanted to encourage you. I've really wanted to challenge you this morning to live this life, right? And if we're not careful, we can leave here with this lofty expectation and this weighty, you know, uh, a feeling over us. I've got to do something, you know, big, you know, for God. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is that God is calling you to live a life that may look very, very ordinary. One of my favorite stories in scriptures in Acts 4, whenever uh, Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin and um, they had just, you know, uh, seen a man healed, right? And now they're having to answer for it. And so uh, Peter, and he just preaches the gospel and these guys kind of look at him and, and it says this, it's recorded in scripture saying that they, 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 they look at Peter and John and they took account that these were ordinary, uneducated men that had been with Jesus, and so God is asking you to repent and believe in him and, and, and walk with him, right? The, the, the qualification is that you're with Jesus, right? It's not that your life looks extraordinary. Your life very likely looks very ordinary. My life looks very, very ordinary, right? Like, like I, just before I came up here, I was in the back just trying to um, hold my son for just a couple minutes, right? To give my wife just a break, you know, because that's just what you do when you have a baby who weighs as much as our baby does, is you just hold them until your arms can't anymore, and then you pass it to your spouse, right? And you just go back and forth, right? And it looks very, very ordinary, right? And at 5 a.m. this morning, I was heating up a bottle, and I was feeding my child, and it looks very, very ordinary. And life does not always look very exciting. And a lot of days, I do the same exact thing, right? And I get home, and I do the same exact thing, and life looks very, very ordinary, and parenting can feel very, very ordinary, and your job can feel very, very ordinary, and everything about it can feel very ordinary and not exciting and not this thrill of this adventure, but what God has called us into is to take our ordinary and place it before him as an offering, and that we would follow him, and in doing so, we are actually doing the work and the mission of the gospel and partnering with Jesus in the renewal of all things. Bringing his kingdom into my family is important. I can worship God by attending church and by changing diapers and by praying and by paying bills. And I can worship God through, um, through singing loud during worship. And I can also worship God by washing my dishes. I can worship God through all of these things and I can bring them all to him as worship to him. And so I ask you this morning, do you trust your father? What fear is standing between you and the resurrection? What fear is standing in between you and mobilizing yourself to begin to look at your life as opportunity for God's rule and reign to invade every space? There's a time where Moses was invited to do something big for God. to lead the people of Israel out of bondage. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In verse 12, God said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you when you have brought the 
people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. See, Moses was more familiar with his own fears and anxieties than he was with the character and nature of God. And sometimes we're held back and we're crippled and we're immobilized because of our perceived lack and our fear and our worry about what may happen in our anxieties. But the more we know God, the more we can trust him. God says, don't worry about what I've called you to because I will be with you and you will worship God on this mountain. Last week, my son was on spring break and I took the week off. My daughter was on spring break, took the week off. And um, me and Anna took our family to Legoland. And it was our first time going to a theme park type place with our kids. So we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into, right? But we were excited, you know, ready to go. And Oliver was excited, really into Legos. Esme was just, just excited about anything, right? She's two years old, almost three. And so just everything was awesome to her, right? And so there was this one ride, Anna took Oliver to go ride on. And after they're gone for a while, me and Esme are hanging out and Oliver and Anna come out and Anna's like, he wouldn't ride the ride. We were, we were strapped in, like buckled in and he had to get off. Like he had to get out, was, got scared, got scared, was afraid. And so I came over to him and we're like, I'm sorry, buddy. You know, I'm sorry you were scared. You know, what, what was going on? I just was afraid. And he kind of has this thing where he's afraid of heights, right? And the ride is called Masters of Flight, right? And so he just had it in his, in his mind that like, you know, something, you know, he's going to go up too high and, and he just got nervous and got scared. And so, you know, um, us trying to be, Anna obviously being gracious at the moment. It's like, hey, buddy, that's okay. You don't have to ride the ride, right? And I told him, I said, hey, buddy, that's okay. Like, you don't have to ride the ride. And, and, um, and so anyhow, this was like towards the end of our day. And there's all these highs and lows in the day, right, when you're with kids. And so Anna says, hey, listen, I'm going to go ride the ride. And I said, you go, you go ride the ride, and I'll hang out with, with Esme and Oliver. And so I'm talking with Oliver, and I'm really just trying to understand, like, hey, man, like, what's going on? Like, why are you scared? Because it's not a scary ride, you know what I mean? Like it, it's not, and I'm trying to explain it to him. And the more we talk about it, he's like, uh-huh, like, okay, I don't want to do it. And I finally, you know, just tell him like, hey, son, listen, I know you feel like this is a scary ride. I know you feel like this ride is really scary. But what I'm asking you to do is to trust dad that, I know this ride is not scary. Mom and dad know that this is not a scary ride. So I know you feel this way, but I'm asking you to trust that mom and dad know that you're gonna be okay. And he says, okay, I, okay, okay. And I said, okay, you wanna ride the ride? He said, no, I don't wanna ride the ride, right? And that's how we are sometimes. We're like, okay, God, okay, God. And God's like, okay, so you're going to do it? He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. No, 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 I get what you're saying, God. I'm just still not going to do it. And so Anna comes off the ride and she's like, oh my gosh, Oliver, that was so much fun. I had so much fun. I was just so, ex oh my gosh, you would love that ride. 
And you sort of see his face just kind of like get interested, you know? He's a little bit curious. He's like, okay, I'll do it. And he's like, dad, will you go with me? And I said, absolutely. And I grabbed his hand. We take off running, right? And so the whole time I'm just like, okay, like, what, is he going to back out? Is he going to back out? And we're just having fun. We're having fun. And we get buckled in. And so then we, we're, we're buckled in, right? And we reach this point where we're getting ready to go and, and we're sort of talking about the ride. And uh, I just reach over and I grab his hand. And so we're, hold, we're just holding hands. And he says to me, just out of nowhere, I'm prompted, I trust you, Dad. Whew. I was like, y'all got to unbuckle me because I got to get a hug. <laughs> like, y'all going to have to do a timeout on the ride. I can't ride this yet. <laughs> now, trust you, Dad. I don't know what God's called you to. I don't know what's, what's ahead. But today, will you trust him? Just on the other side of the resurrection, there's an invitation for us to hold hands with our Savior. And what he's called us to, what he's invited us into this journey he promises to be with us. He promises to go with us. He hasn't left us or forsaken us. And the resurrection reminds me that because the God who created the heavens and the earth put on skin and bones and moved into my neck of the woods. And he lived here. And he died here and he rose here. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But as he's up there, he's inviting you and I to carry on his work and his mission. And he says, I'll give you my spirit. It's my promise to you that my spirit will go to you. Will you stand with me this morning? So we're a charismatic church and I just believe that that means we need to respond to what God's doing in the room. And so instead of just saying, Lord bless you and keep you, go have fun at lunch, let's worship. Let's invite God and his kingdom, his rule and reign into our life. Let's come under his lordship this morning and let's proclaim, Dad, I trust you. Father, I trust you. I trust you this morning. Bow your heads and let's pray. God, in the midst of sorrow and distress and sin and misery and evil is a story and a message of hope and redemption and restoration. And God, we just 
are so thankful today to be reminded of the story of, of your life and your death and your resurrection and what that means for us today. And it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. And it's not just something that is going to make a difference in our lives when we die, but it's something that makes in our difference in our lives today while we live. And so Jesus, we trust you today. And Jesus, we proclaim that you are holy and you are the lamb of God. You are the lamb of God and you are holy holy, 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 and there is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you, Jesus. We just worship you right now, Father God.